0: to another episode of Downton Gabby Special Edition. We're wearing our Gilded Gabby hats again today to discuss the final two episodes of season one of The Gilded Age. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Seattle.
1: And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn.
0: Teresa in Brooklyn, I've heard rumors that you're hearing people loved the entire season <laughs> of The Gilded Age. What are your notes from the street?
1: Uh, my, my notes from the street are that I strike up these conversations about Gilded Age with people, partly because, you know, people know that I have a professional interest in <laughs> Julian's work, um, but also I love talking about TV, so I've had some conversations, and people just like really love it. They just think it's great, and I'm just like, but, but, <laughs> what about Marion? What about Marion? And they're like, oh, Marion. She's young. And I'm like, do you, are you, like, supporting her relationship with Mr. Rakes? They're just not as passionate about this as I (laughs) am.
0: Yeah, I think the best tweet that I saw about it and, like, the general lack of stakes was, I wish it was on every day but at 11 (laughs) (laughs) a.m. Yeah, I I could see that, too. I, I mean, I think the three of us agree that it's gotten a lot better over the course oh, of the yeah. season. And I really, really liked these last two episodes. But that doesn't erase the fact that this was a slow burn.
1: I think that, you know, like, love the show. That's awesome because we all deserve happiness in our lives. I think our professional responsibility is to call out some things that maybe aren't working so well.
0: Right, because we know that Julian listens to us. And yes. so.
1: <laughs> he He totally listens to us. Or maybe his lady's maid does. I'm not
0: sure. We have a
2: little antique phone that we can just dial and call him and say, Julian, what's your trauma with ladies maids? Who hurt you in your past? Can we get a good lady's maid? It's only been Anna.
0: Oh, man. And she married a murderer. So. Yeah. So what's going on there, Julian? Well, let's, let's talk about Armstrong since that's a storyline that was contained to episode eight before we get... Too far.
1: Oh, sorry. I must back up a moment. I think we need to give a shout out to two people that we think are just the absolute best super fans of this podcast. So, can I do a shout out?
2: Absolutely.
1: So, I know you're listening. So, thank you, Jamie. And thank you, Annie. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for your thoughts on the show. We love hearing from you and um, we hope that you have um, enjoyed the season at least as much as we did.
2: Hopefully, more. Thank you for pulling us out of retirement. You know, we were kind of thinking about doing a podcast about the Gilded Age, but then when you wrote to us and you said, We want Gilded Gabby and you had a great name, it was just I know. like, Yes, we are doing this.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Jamie and Annie. We really appreciate you.
2: All right. Should we dive into Armstrong? The woman who has the most job security of anybody
0: ever in america in history yeah who wrote in the notes like she and banister both like survive i mean agnes is supposed to be this like terrifying presence and she seems to like not be able to pull the trigger when it comes down to it you know like she's just she could never train someone else in her ways i don't know
1: that was me that wrote that in, and, and yeah, it seems like you just can't get good, get good help, and Agnes does not want to train a new lady's maid or a new butler. And, but here's the other thing. Servants know everyone's secrets, so firing someone and letting them loose in the world, especially for someone like Agnes, might just be a really terrifying prospect.
0: Mm. Do you think that she has some like crazy secrets in her past?
1: Agnes?
2: No. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> so do. what
0: secrets are we worried about? Like, do you think Agnes like knows that her son is gay? Like,
2: I don't think she's that interested in her son. I think she knows she knew what an adventurer looked like right away. So I think she's had some salacious affair or affairs in her past. That's
1: hmm. interesting. I don't actually think Agnes has anything that would qualify as a big secret. I just think that she would be horrified that anything that happens in their house would be shared with others. That's all. Hmm.
0: I will say for Agnes, I found the scene where she sort of admitted her failings to Peggy to be very effective. Mm -hmm. And I thought that the way that it all played out was actually, you know, reasonably realistic. Like, it would have been... Maybe harder to believe that Agnes would choose her relatively newly hired black secretary over this like longtime employee, you know, no matter what the circumstances are.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually very true.
2: But I did really appreciate when her son pushed her at dinner and she's like, yes, I do miss her. You know, and I I really feel like Agnes has become a much more full and rich character over this season, and I'm very excited for where she's going next season.
1: Also, Ada. I mean, I think Ada has really grown into a lovely character, and you know, Ada's the quiet one who sees everything and knows everything that's going on. Whether she's going to get involved in it is a completely other story, but... She knows what's what. And, uh, you know, she's been there for Miriam. And she's been very kind and very understanding and supportive in a way that Agnes maybe can't be.
0: I like their characters. I like their relationship with each other. I like the way they've evolved over the season despite never leaving their house. (laughs) And they got to go to the ball at the end. I really have no complaints about the sisters. I do hope that now that they've, you know, encountered some of the other people in the cast besides those who go into their house, that maybe we can expand their storylines in season two, but we'll see.
1: That's really funny, actually, just talking about the nuts and bolts of, of shooting a TV show. <laughs> if they never leave their house, they're, like, never in the same scene as most of the cast. Right. It, it's, it's the way with Downton how a lot of the staff really did not ever work in the same place as the, you know, crawlies because they rarely met unless you're maybe a lady's maid or something, which I just, I just think is so interesting. And, and, and the truth is like how many people have worked on the same set as Ada?
0: Like four. (laughs) Well, and pumpkin, pumpkin. And pumpkin. Yeah. The most important cast member. We didn't get any appearance from Pumpkin in these last couple episodes, did we? They didn't want to pay for the handler. <laughs> <laughs> the Pumpkin storyline is over. <laughs> We've blown our Pumpkin budget.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I did feel that Ada's response to her inklings about what Marion was up to was very interesting. Because usually characters in that situation try and stop them. And she didn't really try and stop her. She just tried to help her, like, remember herself and to think about her decisions, but she didn't outright stop her. And I thought that was a very interesting choice and not one I think I've actually seen in this type of storyline before.
1: Well, it's the same with like Ada and Peggy and Mrs. Chamberlain who all obviously care for Marion. Not one of them ever really tried to stop her. I wonder if it's because they have their own histories of relationships with men that they, you know shouldn't be with according to society and and it seems like this situation was more relatable for them and i don't think they could fully just say don't do it you're making a big mistake because they've all kind of been there in one way or another
0: yeah i think that's interesting i also think it's interesting that once aurora told the salacious details about the whispering at the opera that ada was was content to sort of send her over there to do something like that told me that she really had wanted to stop Marion but didn't feel like she could somehow or that she regretted letting her walk out the door, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't love how in the end none of it mattered. None of what any of the other women did for Marion mattered because he just never showed. And that was a little bit of a of a letdown for me just storytelling-wise. I mean, we knew this guy was no good, but... I think a moment when Marion could have actually realized that and done something about it before it was his decision would have been more satisfying. Okay, you're asking a lot of Marion for her to decide, <laughs> see something as reality
2: and decide on her own. That's a lot to ask of that character.
0: Not according to Larry Russell. He thinks she's just the bee's knees. But uh, You know what? Larry
1: Russell is just the sweetest thing. Really. I know they're setting up something with him and Marion and they've been doing it all season, but I like Marion better when she's with Larry, actually. She seems more with it somehow.
0: I mean, much better than the Marion who, rather than slapping him in the face when Rakes is like, can we part as friends? Oh, God. Not as friends, but not as enemies either. I'm like, this man needs to be your enemy. He just threw you over for some cash in a tiara. Like, what the hell?
2: You know, Bertha would be, would be like, I will destroy you. I will burn to the <laughs> ground anything you try to build in this town. And that's what I love about her.
1: Yeah, I think that it was really interesting that there was no conflict at the end. That, like, it was all so passive. Like, he didn't show up. He just didn't show up. And she showed up at his office and he's like, I'm trying to write you a note.
2: I don't know how to write. It's taken me all day. Like, how long does it take to write a note? I'm, oh, it's over.
1: (laughs) Look, here's the thing. I'm just, I'm just disappointed that this story didn't go the way I was sure it was gonna go, that we have discussed, but probably not on the mics, uh, which is that he had actually known that her railroad stock was worth a lot of money but didn't tell her and was conspiring to marry her and then discovered that she was in fact an heiress that and great
0: that would great be idea so much better
1: it would be it would be a lot better it, just something i don't know it was very um anticlimactic
2: i have a theory about this entire storyline that it has nothing to do with marianne i think this entire storyline is about how aurora is going to forgive Mrs. Chamberlain and bring her back into society. Cause I actually think the moment with the two of them in the house alone was the most poignant of them all. And Aurora brought Bertha into society. And I think she is the key of melding the old and the new money.
1: It struck me when they were were talking and had that scene, it struck me how good Kelly O'Hara is as Aurora. I think her performance has been really nuanced and has evolved her character has evolved and I, I think Kelly O'Hara is just a great actress and it was that scene with her and Mrs. Chamberlain that kind of brought it home for me I was thinking
0: I agree she has in she has infused a lot of pathos into lines that on the page are pretty um utilitarian as far as just you know this is this is what we can do this is what we can't do this is what's happening you know and she really speaks to a, a depth it's great. This is what actors are supposed to do, right? Like really bring bring the subtext up so that we can see it on their face. I, I think she's been a standout for sure.
1: You know, maybe, maybe that little moment she had with Mrs. Chamberlain was, you know, meaningful for season two. I do wish Mrs. Chamberlain would stop wearing those dresses with the puffy sleeves. They do not flatter her.
0: <laughs> I know. Apparently sleeves are very important in this era you know the there was an article i shared with you guys from the LA times talking about how the sleeves on Bertha's final dress for the ball were sort of scandalous because they were asymmetrical and one was just like a little puff that like was kind of translucent and you know being sleeveless is you know code for you're a lady of the night you know <laughs> she's nearly sleeveless on one side i mean that's bold now, both Marion and um, Carrie were wearing sleeveless dresses, weren't they? Oh, I guess they're younger so they could get away with it. Oh, I'm, I'm not the fashion historian from the L.A. Times, okay? <laughs> well, while we're on the subject of Bertha and her dresses, I was so happy that she was wearing her red power color when Mary Astor finally came to call. What a scene. And that scene was worth the wait, wasn't it? It was absolutely worth the wait
2: to see these two incredible female actors stand off in this room with each other. And I love how we were primed by Carrie Astor saying, your mistake is that you think she's weaker than you. And then to go into that scene, I mean, I had goosebumps. It was so good. And what we've always loved about Julian is he knows how to write women having power in a scene with another woman. I just always love that. And I really love this and I can't wait for the frenemies of next season. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did feel a little confused by the setup of this. Like, I think the, the, my favorite way to read it is basically that this was a long con on Bertha's part because it seemed too naive for her to think that she would be received unannounced at Mrs. Astor's house just because Carrie had been hanging out just because their daughters were pals. And yet the way that it was written seemed like she really was surprised in that moment. So I wasn't quite sure. Like, where do you guys land on? Did she, you know, overplay her hand and then reassess? Or was this all a long con?
1: I think it's a combination, really. Like, she may have gone to Mrs. Astor's house thinking that she now had some kind of in since she had written to all the parents about the dresses and everything. But I do think that at the same time, this has been kind of a long con. I think that she's a pro. We should never have doubted her. But the scene with the two of them sort of facing off in the morning room, or wherever they were, I could feel, like, I love Carrie Coon, and I could feel her in this part, like just basically saying, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. together." And then when Mrs. Astor finally leaves, she like exhales that it was actually a strain for her to keep her power position for so long in the face of the most powerful woman in their society that it wasn't easy for her to do what she did. But she is
0: tough. I think she knew that, you know, that opening offer you know, of just a I sign my regrets, but I'll receive you somewhere else at another time was just not going to be enough. If she accepted that offer, that's where she would stay forever. Yeah, she's George's wife. She knows how to strike a deal.
2: I mean, he has built his wealth and she has been his partner. And that was a stellar business negotiation.
0: Uh, And good for Carrie for standing up against all this nonsense too and being like I want to go to my friend's party it's actually important you know we worked really hard yeah as silly as the whole you know Versailles dance thing was or whatever it's like yeah when you're that age if you can't go to the big dance it's a big deal (laughs) yeah
2: I just felt bad for her that when she was moping in her room it was the time before when she could just blast moody music. She was just sitting in there silently. And I'm like, this is where you really need to be blasting the moody music.
0: (laughs) If only Jagged Little Pill was out. Oh my
2: (laughs) gosh, yes. Yes, she really needed that. And I have to give it to Ward McAllister. He really came through for Bertha.
1: Well, but that's the the philosophy, right? You can't keep all the new people out because they'll make their own society and leave the old people out of it. So you have to play this very careful game of like letting some people in, enough people in, to, to keep them from making their own world. I mean, they're already building their own opera house for crying out loud.
0: I think that was a great scene for, especially to come in the finale when we've seen all of these machinations through the season. And I was just thinking about it in comparison to Down Abbey where like, you know, they are strictly born into these like societal royalty roles. And, you know, maybe for every Sybil who runs away with a Tom, it it doesn't fundamentally change anything about who has power because it's so entrenched literally in the law. But here in New York, I mean, this is constant upkeep. It's Mm -hmm. very fascinating. And I know that's been, you know, the theme of the whole season, but just hearing Wards lay it out and hearing this woman who was supposed to be sort of like, an omniscient God in some ways, the way people talk about her, like literally just look at her chess pieces and say, you know, it behooves me to to lay my queen down this time. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. It was a fun scene. I think the point that really drove it home is when he
2: said, they will make successful marriages without you. And that's what I think the final straw was because it was a business negotiation with Bertha and Mrs. Astor because this is all about who their daughters will marry and that is money and that
0: is status and that is a woman's life more yeah, so than exactly. anything right mm-hmm. in this time who you're gonna marry is everything and you know thematically that does fit with you know the less successful storyline of of marion as well and hopefully that comes together well in season two with with larry and marion because yeah he is like the only person who draws any sort of emotion anything. out of her <laughs> I
1: have in my in my own handwritten notes when I was watching that episode, I wrote down Ward McAllister's quote. He says, "They're good looking and they smell of money."
0: I love that line. And they're nice.
1: They're, they they <laughs> seem like nice kids, yeah.
0: And Mamie Fish approves.
1: <laughs> Why wasn't Mamie Fish at the ball? Does she just spend all her time up in Newport? She, does, I guess,
0: she doesn't leave Newport. But let's talk about Newport. Let's just backtrack slightly because yeah. we have to talk about. Number 1 how fun it was to have the like out of town adventure episode and get to see all the like slightly more casual beach clothes and then of course that final sequence of ultimate indignity for Bertha <laughs> oh. was just like as close to pure comedy as the show gets I think it was
1: It was quite beautiful. Again, Carrie Coon is fantastic. It was quite beautiful and that that moment where she like is trying to spit a feather off of her lip, you know, when you're like <laughs>
0: <laughs> incredible which is just one of the most frustrating feelings in the world like get off of me
1: <laughs> it was so beautiful the whole thing was so beautiful and and it's it was really interesting it's like her final indignity before her triumph mm-hmm. um tom and lorenzo pointed out that that she was wearing red lace and white feathers just like a rooster oh no
0: I just want to shout out Michael Angler the director of the episode because I really feel like that whole final sequence like the combination of absurdity and tension like rushing through the house as if it was a horror movie and then you like come out the back and there's the extras with the chickens and the knives and everything like oh, I was amazing. I was just yeah. like this sequence is everything.
2: <laughs> I felt like I was on a Disneyland ride. Like what's gonna pop out of me next?
1: <laughs> also, did you did you catch when she walks out the door, the first sound you hear is like squishing mud? The sound design. Yeah, it's like her beautiful boots went right into the mud.
0: Those are ruined. She's never wearing that whole outfit again. No, it's tainted.
1: I, no, it's completely tainted. So here's a here's a question for you. Do we really think that Mrs. Astor came a day early as a surprise?
0: I mean, maybe Ward was just a little overconfident in knowing ex- her every move. That was how I read it. Me too.
1: But do you think the butler didn't know she was coming? I mean, I can't imagine Mrs. Astor setting off for Newport in her private railway car and uh, not telling all of the servants at the house she was going to. I think you've she's stumbled
0: into way. a plot hole. Mm. <laughs> I don't think that that butler wanted... I mean he would be in so much trouble if they got caught there too, right? Like
1: Right, right. Unless Mrs. Astor doesn't want to fire him because it's so hard to get a good putter.
2: Oh my goodness. Yes. I have to say Mr. Church really, really was charming in the final episode. I was like, look at this guy making jokes.
0: Too good. Yeah. Let's let's go downstairs for a second and yes. talk about that because the French chef storyline, essentially the Carson does vaudeville of this. <laughs> was so friggin' funny. I mean I was dying. It was
2: brilliant. It was so good. And that guy acted so well whenever he did his real voice. It was so funny.
1: It was so funny. His face
0: changes, his whole body, his carriage changes. It was like Clark Kent Superman. Like <laughs> yes, yeah. it really, really was. Oh, I loved it. And yeah, getting seeing Church get to sort of like take charge where he's had you know, he's had some dings to his dignity over the course of the season like i I do think it's taken a while for that character to rev up but i mean i loved it the butlers giving each other a nod across the the this road or whatever like i've grown attached to them in a way that like yeah i wouldn't have predicted from the first few episodes
1: Mm -hmm. yeah they're quite sweet and that's something that we didn't really have in downton we didn't have that kind of relationship uh, between servants from two different houses So it's quite, it's quite fun. I mean, that whole, the new French chef they bring in, he's just wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm a disaster.
0: (laughs) He's just instantly a wine drunk. I was like, if I was French, I'd be a little annoyed by this (laughs) storyline. I mean, that was really most of the downstairs action that we got in this finale. Um, I'm not counting Peggy in that anymore since she's quit. But if we want to jump over to Brooklyn for a second and talk about how your secret baby theory was vindicated. I, full
2: disclosure, texted Teresa and Brandy and said, my theory was right. Secret baby. I knew it. So that felt really good. But I do feel really bad for Peggy. I mean, this is a really awful storyline, just totally torturous, but also just so brilliantly acted by Peggy and her mother, that scene when the father comes home was chilling and just so good.
0: I will say the reason that I didn't buy the secret baby is because I thought Peggy would want her baby. She wouldn't give Mm -hmm. up her baby. And so I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, this, I didn't see it coming because it's so dark. It's very
2: dark for this show. It's very dark.
0: But yeah, I think, you know, all the all of the pieces of our different scenarios kind of came together with the the husband who it seems that they were forced into an annulment. Maybe he'll come back for a love triangle or something in season two. I certainly hope that we really play this storyline out because it's a very serious setup and I want it to be done justice. I wanted somebody to slap her dad across the face at the end. I know that's not quite the vibe at their house, but (laughs) I was so devastated.
2: I think the slap across the face is that the mother is going with her to Pittsburgh. Yeah. That is the slap.
0: Symbolic slap.
2: Because she's saying, no, I am judging you and your actions, and I am choosing our daughter over you.
1: Which, Which is a lot to do at that time.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it was beautifully acted. It was beautifully written. It's almost like they were in a different show, honestly. Yeah. Um, the tone was was very appropriate to the storyline. Audra McDonald, you know, and Danae Benton, they're they're both wonderful actors, and it's such a pleasure to see them get some some room, you know, mm-hmm. to really uh, embody these roles. So. Um, That was great. Now, I'm a little worried about T. Thomas Fortune.
2: Hunky editor? He loves children. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry about it. He's perfect. Don't worry. It's all going to work out.
1: Okay, fine.
2: This is in my hopes of dreams section of the podcast where I'm just like, she's going to get that baby, bring it back. Hunky editor is going to just
0: take them both in. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it.
1: Yeah, that was great. And, I, and I'm and i really looking forward to next season.
0: And I hope that they feel, you know, this is becoming a little bit more of a sprawling show. Like, I hope they feel that they can let this storyline play out with the search for everything without trying to bring fucking Marion and Agnes, like, into it. Like, yeah. just let us have this branch of the world that we're in and build it out and give us more time with Hunky Editor and everybody else who's in Peggy's world without artificially crossing it too much like obviously you know Marion and Peggy can be friends but I, I don't need that and I just worry that now that she's not working for them anymore that this storyline might get short shrift.
1: That's a good point you know in my conversations about what's wrong with Marion with my friends you know one person pointed out that Marion is there really not as the ingenue central romance of the show, but she's there to connect everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she brings us to different places. Um, And so as you say, they kind of have to stay
2: friends. I'm not worried because I actually really like the Peggy-Agnes relationship. So I hope that that continues because I do think there's more to Agnes's past and I think she's very wise. And I think that... Her and Peggy are similar in some ways. Like, they both are very resilient and persevere and are very kind of strong personalities in what they want. So I actually like those two together. I don't care about Marion and Peggy, but I do like Agnes and Peggy.
0: I think that an interesting element could be, if it's done right, that at some point, in some way, Peggy needs to get Agnes's help Mm -hmm. whether it's with a lawyer or whatever else obviously you know her parents are connected folks in on their side of town so I'm not sure how that would play out but we know that they're going back to the place where Agnes's brother lived like maybe there's some connection that could happen there somehow like I think that would be an interesting moment to see Agnes step up and act in a way that might be a little bit scandalous but follows her core morality. She's crossed the
2: street. She's, she's ready to test her, test her limits. Mrs.
1: Astor told her to cross the street. Well, they are going back to her, you know, territory where she's from. And the reason she initially took to Peggy so warmly is because Peggy went to the school that Agnes's family had been uh, patrons of.
0: Right. So there, there are connections there that I think would be way more interesting to explore than anything left with Marion. So the last major character that we haven't really touched on is, of course, Mr. Russell and his court case, the very convenient court case. (laughs) Speaking of Marion connecting everything. Oh my god. Nice, nice. This was the most insane double coincidence that she was in the right place at the right time to even become aware of the existence of Miss Ainsley and then to see her again at the department store while buying gloves I'm rolling my eyes so hard right now you can't see them you know what
1: I loved it I thought <laughs> it was so great it was so much fun I don't know I just thoroughly enjoyed the whole thing and the court like, like even in court where the lawyer like gets her to like mess up and confess and I wrote in the notes it's like Mr. Brady throwing his briefcase in court <laughs> I don't know if anyone gets that reference yeah the whole thing was just really fun
0: it was so funny to me it was just like how are they even pulling this off because I think they did kind of pull it off but it was like the meeting of this, like, farcical thing going on with Marion just, like, being like, is that not her name? Dixon. I heard her say Dixon. And then the, like, full (laughs) you-can't-handle-the-truth thing going on in court. And then Mr. Russell going just, like, you know when he turns it up to, like, that Mm -hmm. slight, like, Lucifer level where he's like, you'll never work in this town again. You'll make your living scrubbing floors. (laughs) It was just like, Um... oh, my God, there is, like... There are a lot of different tones mixing together in this storyline. Do you think in the writer's room it was,
2: a, it was just a note card on the wall that just says Bloomingdale's caper?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think mean, it was just like we paid a lot for this set and we have to use it again. <laughs> but
2: I love George Russell and how he always has his wife's back and he will almost blackmail people to go <laughs> to the ball And that is always why he's a winner in my book.
0: Did you guys ever have a moment where you were like, are they gonna reveal that he really did do something? Like, maybe even not realizing that he gave someone the impression they should cut a corner, but maybe doing it on purpose? Like, or were you full on like, he's innocent the whole time?
1: You know, Julian just does not have the big reveals. It's just not how he writes. There are no surprises. You know, we were thinking, there was going to be a whole rakes surprise reveal. And the truth is, it's just not how Julian tells stories. So I don't, I don't believe that there's like, there are like hidden things going on that absolutely nobody knows about that will suddenly be revealed shockingly. Mm. So yeah, I don't, I don't think so. But I mean, he's, he's like a kind of a bastard. I mean, come on. I mean, he's hot.
2: The, the entire, I find it very hot. I'm
0: like, he's yeah. So,
1: the entire internet is so thirsty for Morgan Spector. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> unseemly.
0: Would you put in the notes that he's Rebecca Hall's husband? Which I did not realize, but like, that's a power couple right there.
1: Yeah, so they're married. They're a power couple. And then um, uh, Carrie Coon is married to Tracy Letts, who is a playwright slash actor- um out that of one
2: I knew was shocking to read in the LA Times article that she was how many months pregnant six months pregnant in that final scene yeah I mean you Amazing. said you
0: didn't this is you said on our text thread <laughs> that you didn't love her final gown and I was like well it did its job of hiding the fact that she was six months pregnant because I didn't notice and it it was also she was wearing sneakers the whole time
1: <laughs> that's right and no <laughs> corset
2: what a power move that she's just in pennies the whole time. (laughs) Amazing.
1: That article was so funny because she's, first of all, she's talking about wearing like sneakers and a corset the whole time and how her waist kept getting higher and higher in order to hide her baby bump. And the best was that they were all so excited about their costumes for the ball. They did fashion shows for each other.
0: I I love the description of it. it. sounded like just a late night shoot where everyone was going giddy with fatigue But having the time of their lives at the same time, like, it was, like, very fun to read about. Did we miss anything? Anything we want to mention? Little shout outs? Hopes for next season?
1: Well, let's just talk about, I mean, just Gladys is looking fine, you know, now that she's out.
0: I I liked her sort of, you know, giving Oscar the little, you know, no, no, I'm, I'm my own woman now thing. It does make me sad to think of her being like actually ensnared by him because I want I would rather a real dashing young man come in for a real romance. But I think that will be interesting to watch play out in in season two now that she can actually be involved in all the events that are going on in a real way. And I do hope the boyfriend sticks around for a little while too. Oscar's boyfriend who's John. Am I making John it up? Adams. I think, okay, John I was Adams. like, is his name really John or do I just say that every time I don't know what a male character's name is? <laughs> but <laughs> uh I loved him showing up in Newport. Like I would love to get a little bit more into their world too in season two.
1: Oh, he is such a little bitch. I love him. <laughs> He's great. I think he cannot taunt Oscar enough. I
2: just think it's great. And finally Gladys has a new hairstyle, so it's all good. I'm just so I was so curious of what her hair would look like because she's had the most tragic hairstyle. Uh, I'm so. glad
0: we don't have to see the fluffy extensions anymore. It oh, can just be up and beautiful and classy. Yeah, let this girl have some good hair, please.
1: Yeah, she's got she's quite self possessed. I I think she's gonna be fine.
0: I would love to see her like really be a match for her mother um, in a way that Bertha is maybe not anticipating. That would be really fun.
1: There's a scene where, where she finds out that Carrie is coming because Mrs. Astor apologized and they are going to do their quadrille and it's all been arranged by her mother and she hugs her mother and thanks her. And it just the look on Bertha's face made me think that that really does not happen much, if at all.
0: Yeah, Carrie Coon's expression kind of said, like that she maybe didn't realize quite the d- emotional depth of what she was playing with, with her daughter. You yeah. know, and thank God it all worked out. But you know, maybe that was a little bit of a wake up call.
2: So predictions for season two:
0: Larry and Marion. Sitting, sitting in, in a Larian. Tree.
2: I guess we can call them Larian.
0: Larian is happening. That's for sure.
2: I
1: predict that a mysterious duke will arrive. <laughs> the duke. From England with a failing estate looking for a dollar bride, as they're called, to save, <laughs> to save his estate. I-,
0: I could see that happening because it definitely plays into the whole this used to be a Downton prequel of it all. And I don't know if Julian can resist too long before he gets a Brit in there. But other other than that, I don't really have that many predictions. I have hopes that we've already talked about throughout this, but I don't know. I'm glad a season two is happening. You know, it seems like it's been a big hit. It's totally been a big hit. I feel like really one of the only dangling ends that was left outside of the major storylines like Peggy was we still don't know the relationship between the like under butler and Mm -hmm. the, and the rich woman yep um he that face of like devastated longing that he gave at the ball was just like pure stage acting on a tv show it was it was great i loved it um so i hope something happens with that with some you know some of these actors are being underserved so that would really just be my hope is that we get more of everybody
2: i have a prediction I have a prediction that next season will end with Mrs. Chamberlain being received by Mrs. Astor. Marking it now. I think next season's all about Mrs. Chamberlain.
1: Oh, I hope not. (laughs) Not with those dresses.
0: Um, I wouldn't mind if someone took a, you know, voyage to Paris. Classic Brandy.
2: If they're in Europe, you want them to go to America. (laughs) If they're in America, you want them to go to Europe.
0: Listen, this is what rich people do, right? They, just, they can take an ocean liner at a moment's notice. I mean, we can also bring a, a cowboy into things. You know, I like bringing a cowboy in as well.
2: I'm
0: waiting on it. Yeah.
2: I'm hoping for Peggy and Hunky Editor, obviously. I also feel like, is Peggy going to write a novel about this whole experience?
0: I, I hope the writing thing doesn't drop out only for family drama. She oh, can have no. it all. She's so driven
2: and I hope that Bannister and Mr. Church really become friends and they go down to the pub together.
1: And they get a little house. Yeah.
2: Well, really looking forward to season two. I mean, I know we talked a lot of shit about this show in the beginning, but these last two episodes really won me over and it's just a joy to
0: watch and I'm really looking forward to season two. Well, before we wrap up our special edition here, let's do one fabulous thing. My
1: one fabulous thing is a show on HBO Max from Norway called The BeForeigners. I love time travel, you guys. (laughs) There's a theme. Uh, The BeForeigners takes place in present-day Oslo. People are appearing from the 19th century, about a thousand years ago, like actual Vikings, and from like 10,000 years ago, some Neanderthals. And they are appearing all over the world, and nobody knows why. But this show isn't about, like, how come all of these Viking people from a 1,000 years ago are appearing. It's like, what would happen (laughs) if a bunch of, like, Vikings appeared? And how would society deal with them? And there's some, you know, migrant metaphors. But it's also a police procedural, which is fantastic. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yes. Sure. it's fantastic so the, the, the lead policeman is this guy who's got whatever personal problems you know detectives always have and he is paired by a rookie with a rookie who is this young woman who uh, did appear from a thousand years ago and she really is a viking they team up so it's like a buddy cop thing police procedural time travel mm. uh, social commentary
2: vikings wow. are really having a moment right now
1: they are having a moment, <laughs> yeah. I've seen two seasons. I think it's just two seasons so far. The first season is, I thought, really, really strong. The second season goes a little bit like off the rails, but um, I found it incredibly entertaining. The be foreigners,
0: I wonder—is I wonder if the actual like Norwegian title is a pun like that? Like, I wonder how it translates.
1: I don't know because the be foreigners is like a a slur, so. I'm not exactly sure what the Norwegian title is, or whether they just use it as an English, an English word,
2: hmm.
0: because
1: these people are are appearing all over the world. It's not just you know in Oslo.
0: Oh, um, huh. Well, I'm I'm curious. That is an audacious premise. So <laughs> audacious as hell. My one fabulous thing is the dropout on Hulu about Elizabeth Holmes, and you would think that we don't need any more media about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. As fascinating as the story is, is. there's been podcasts and books and documentaries, but this show is so good. (laughs) And the performances are so good, particularly Amanda Seyfried doing the weird voice, doing the whole thing, and just hitting a tone that really captures both the absurdity and the tragedy of the whole thing. I- I've just been deeply impressed by it. Uh, it's so episode six comes out tomorrow as we're recording this. It's eight episodes total. I really recommend catching up if you have Hulu because I haven't been excited about anything in a minute like I have been about this show.
1: Okay, I wasn't going to watch it because uh, in Inventing Anna, is that what it's called? That that pretty much like used up my tolerance for scam artist, but the
0: dropout is not that the dropout is like a fascinating sprawling sort of thing that's not just I don't know not just a showcase for this weird character of Elizabeth Holmes but like really digging into the effect she had on all the people around her and it's just full of amazing character actors where every episode you're like that guy's in this oh my god just fun little treats around every corner
2: All right, I have a wild card one. It's not media, but it is totally feminist. And that is an all-female distillery in Portland called Freeland Distillery. That we went to in Portland, and it is incredible bourbon and rye and gin. Honestly, a lot of young distilleries are not very good in their bourbons and ryes. um, But these are really good, and it's all female-owned. I think they even source their you know grains from women who grow it so it's really truly feminist and it's delicious highly recommend Freeland distillery in Portland
1: do you have to go to Portland to get it
2: no you can order it online but their distillery is really cute in Portland so I do recommend going there if you want and their bottles kind of look like breasts and that's also (laughs) interesting Interesting. yeah but it's it's very good and I just love when it's an all female business. Still, stupidly rare in this day and age. So,
0: thank you for being here with us over these three very special episodes covering The Gilded Age. We will be back again soon to cover the Down Abbey movie part two coming out in the theater. I don't even, I can't even remember what the plot is supposed to be. They're going to France? Is that right? Uh, Yeah.
2: This is all about that dowager's hot old beau that leaves her an estate in the south of France. I'm here for it.
0: I, I will be here for it. I will be here and there and everywhere for it. And we will be here to cover it. So thank you again for listening. And you can find us on Twitter at Downton Gabby. I think that's the only place we're really still updating, but we are around and we thank you so much for listening.